Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States Slip Opinion Syllabus from Sessions v. DeMaia, Certiori to the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. Argued January 17, 2017. Re-argued October 2, 2017. Decided April 17, 2018. The Immigration and Nationality Act virtually guarantees that any alien convicted of an aggravated felony after entering the United States will be deported. An aggravated felony includes a crime of violence, as defined in 18 U.S.C. 16, for which the term of imprisonment is at least one year. Section 16's definition of a crime of violence is divided into two clauses, often referred to as the Elements Clause, 16a, and the Residual Clause, 16b. The Residual Clause, the provision at issue here, defines a crime of violence as any other offense that is a felony and that by its nature involves a substantial risk that physical force against the person or property of another may be used in the course of committing the offense. To decide whether a person's conviction falls within the scope of that clause, the courts apply the categorical approach. This approach has courts ask not whether the particular facts underlying a conviction created a substantial risk, Leo Cal versus Ashcroft, nor whether the statutory elements of a crime require the creation of such risk in each and every case, but whether the ordinary case of an offense poses the requisite risk. James versus United States. Respondent James DeMaia is a lawful permanent resident of the United States with two convictions for first-degree burglary under California law. After his second offense, the government sought to deport him as an aggravated felon. An immigration judge and the Board of Immigration Appeals held that California first-degree burglary is a crime of violence under 16b. While DeMaio's appeal was pending in the Ninth Circuit, this court held that a similar residual clause in the Armed Career Criminal Act, ACCA, defining violent felony as any felony that otherwise involves conduct that presents a serious potential risk of physical injury to another, was unconstitutionally void for vagueness. Under the Fifth Amendment's Due Process Clause, Johnson v. United States, Relying on Johnson, the Ninth Circuit held that 16b, as incorporated into the INA, was also unconstitutionally vague. The judgment is affirmed. Justice Kagan delivered the opinion of the court with respect to parts 1, 3, 4b, and 5, concluding that 16's residual clause is unconstitutionally vague. The straightforward of Johnson effectively resolves this case. Section 16b has the same two features as the Armed Career Criminals Residual Clause in an ordinary case requirement and an ill-defined risk threshold combined in the same constitutionally problematic way. To begin, ACCA's Residual Clause created grave uncertainty about how to estimate the risk posed by a crime because it tied the judicial assessment of risk to a speculative hypothesis about the crime's ordinary case, but provided no guidance on how to figure out what that ordinary case was. Compounding that uncertainty, the Armed Career Criminal Act's 
residual clause layered an imprecise serious potential risk standard on top of the requisite ordinary case inquiry. The combination of indeterminacy about how to measure the risk posed by a crime and indeterminacy about how much risk it takes for the crime to qualify as a violent felony resulted in more unpredictability and arbitrariness than the due process clause tolerates. Section 16b suffers from those same two flaws. Like the ACCA's residual clause, 16b calls for a court to identify a crime's ordinary case in order to measure the crime's risk, but offers no reliable way to discern the ordinary version of an offense looks like, and its substantial risk threshold is no more determinate than the ACCA's serious potential risk standard. Thus, the same two features that conspired to make the ACCA's residual clause unconstitutionally vague also exist in 16b, with the same result. The government identifies three textual discrepancies between the ACCA's residual clause and 16b that it claims make 16b easier to apply and thus cure the constitutional infirmity. None, however, relates to the pair of features that Johnson found to produce impermissible vagueness, or otherwise makes the statutory inquiry more determinate. First, the government argues that 16b's express requirement, absent from the ACCA, that the risk arise from acts taken in the course of committing an offense serves as a temporal restriction. In other words, a court applying 16b may not consider risks arising after the offense's commission is over. Brief for Petitioner 31. But this is not a meaningful limitation. In the ordinary case of any offense, the riskiness of a crime arises from events occurring during its commission, not events occurring later. So with or without the temporal language, a court's applying the ordinary case approach, whether in 16's or ACCA's residual clause, would do the same thing. Ask what usually happens when a crime is committed. The phrase, in the course of, makes no difference as to either outcome or clarity and cannot cure the statutory indeterminacy Johnson described. Second, the government says that 16b's inquiry focuses on the risk of physical force, trained solely on the conduct typically involved in a crime. Brief for Petitioner 36. In contrast, ACCA's residual clause asks about the risk of physical injury, requiring a second inquiry into speculative chain of causation that could possibly result in a victim's injury. However, this court has made clear that physical force means force capable of causing physical pain or injury. Johnson versus United States. So, under 16b, too, a court must not only identify the conduct typically involved in a crime, but also gauge potential consequences. Thus, the force-injury distinction does not clarify a court's analysis of whether the crime qualifies as violent. Third, the government notes that 16b avoids the vagueness of ACCA's residual clause because it is not preceded by a confusing list of exemplar crimes. Brief for Petitioner 38. Those enumerated crimes were in fact too varied to assist this court in giving the ACCA's residual clause meaning. But to say that they failed to resolve the clause's vagueness is hardly to say that they caused the problem. 
the government also relies on judicial experience with 16b, arguing that because it has divided lower courts less often and resulted in only one certiorari grant, it must be clearer than its ACCA counterpart. But in fact, a host of issues respecting 16b's application to specific crimes divide the federal appellate courts, and while this court has only heard oral arguments in two 16b cases, this court vacated the judgments in a number of other 16b cases, remanding them for further consideration in light of the ACCA decisions. Justice Kagan, joined by Justice Ginsburg, Justice Breyer, and Justice Sotomayor, concluded in Parts 2 and 4a, The government argues that a more permissive form of the void for vagueness doctrine applies than the one Johnson employed, because the removal of an alien is a civil matter rather than a criminal case. This court's precedent forecloses that argument. In Jordan v. DeGeorge, the court considered what vagueness standard applied in removal of cases that concluded that, in view of the grave nature of deportation, the most exacting vagueness standard must apply. Nothing in the ensuing years calls that reasoning into question. This court has reiterated that deportation is a particularly severe penalty, which may be of greater concern to a convicted alien than any potential jail sentence. J. Lee v. United States Section 16b demands a categorical, ordinary case approach, for reasons expressed in Johnson, that approach cannot be abandoned in favor of a conduct-based approach, which asks about the specific way in which a defendant committed a crime. To begin, the government, once again, has not asked the court to abandon the categorical approach in residual clause cases, suggesting the fact-based approach is an untenable interpretation of 16b. Moreover, a fact-based approach would generate constitutional questions. In any event, 16b's text demands a categorical approach. This court's decisions have consistently understood that language in the residual clauses of both the ACCA and 16 refer to the statute of conviction, not to the facts of each defendant's conduct. Taylor v. United States And the words, by its nature, in 16b, even more clearly compel an inquiry into the offense's normal and characteristic quality, that is, what is the offense ordinarily entails. Finally, given the daunting difficulties of accurately reconstructing, often many years later, the conduct underlying a conviction, the conduct-based approach approaches utter impracticability and associated inequities is as great as in 16b as in the ACCA. Johnson. Justice Gorsuch, agreeing that the immigration and nationality provision at hand is unconstitutionally vague for the reasons identified in Johnson, concluded that the void for vagueness doctrine, at least properly conceived, serves as a faithful expression of ancient due process and separation of powers principles, the framers recognized as vital to ordered liberty under the Constitution. The government's argument that a less-than-fair notice standard should apply where, as here, a person faces only civil, not criminal, consequences from a statute's operation is unavailing. The criminal context, the law generally must afford ordinary people fair notice of the conduct it punishes. And it is hard to see how the due process clause 
might often require any less than that in a civil context. Nor is there any good reason to single out civil deportation for assessment under the fair notice standard. Because of the special gravity of its penalty, when so many civil laws impose so many similarly severe sanctions. Alternative approaches that do not concede that the property of categorical ordinary case analysis are more properly addressed in another case, involving either the Immigration and Nationality Act or another statute, where the parties have a chance to be heard. Justice Kagan announced the judgment of the court and delivered the opinion of the court, with respect to Parts 1, 3, 4B, and 5, in which Justice Ginsburg, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Gorsuch joined, and an opinion with respect to Parts 2 and 4A, in which Justices Ginsburg, Breyer, and Sotomayor joined. Justice Gorsuch filed an opinion concurring in the part and concurring in the judgment. Chief Justice Roberts filed a dissenting opinion in which Kennedy... Thomas, and Alito joined. Thomas filed a dissenting opinion in which Kennedy and Alito joined, as to parts 1, C, 2, A, 1, and 2B. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in a discussion group, you can find us on Facebook by the same name as the podcast and join the associated discussion group.